<laughs> Maybe it was a longer prayer. I don't know. All right. <laughs> That's a trip. All right. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen it says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, but they, uh, but uh, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope." For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. That for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then... So this is the second part, right? We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. As we began looking at this passage last week, we, we made it uh, all through, through verse 13. We talked about how Paul is absolutely uh, adamant that they would not be ignorant about some things in their life and their walk. We address some of the other things in the Scripture that he does not want them to be ignorant of. I think those are worth a study. Those are worth a time for you to look at, to read over. God does not desire that we would be an ignorant people. God has given us all that we need to know about Him, to trust Him. He has given us the tools and the resources to be the Christians that He desires for us to be. The issue is not the availability of truth. It is the application of truth by faith. So we've got to understand that the resources that we have, they are absolutely available to not be ignorant, but we will stay willfully ignorant if we choose to read this Bible without faith. You can read it in the flesh all you want. You can read it like a phone book, like a dictionary. You can read it like a law book, and you will get nothing out of it whatsoever. If anything, you might get some moralism. You might gain some things. So you go, well, maybe I can change myself a little bit. Those are fleshly things. They will last that long they will be temporary they will do you no heavenly eternal good you need to trust this word by faith he says i don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep those who are the dead in christ that you would not sorrow as others which have no hope meaning this there's a difference between those that have hope and those that don't who are those that have hope those who have christ he is as we, we have a song that we sing christ our hope in life and death he is our only hope in life and death our only hope for now only hope for the future. Now, we've got to understand this. Hope is an interesting word. You and I in the English language, we often use it as just a, this sort of hopeful or wishful thinking, this sort of Disney world mentality of wishing upon a star, right? That's not hope. It is confidence. It is tied together with faith. Faith is a trust in something that is assured, that is knowledgeable, that is available to know. It is trustworthy. So you and I can be confident. Now, in verse 14, we're going to find that faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us confidence of our past, our present, and our future. Now, we've got to understand that there is not a doctrine, a systematic theology that you can study where the gospel is not weaved and uh, it, it just sewn and welded all throughout it. You will not find anything where the gospel that we study about God's word or in God's word or through God's word or, or, or any of that that you will not have it point to the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in the gospel. The gospel is simple. It is Jesus' substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection. Now, we focused so much last week with uh, Resurrection Sunday on Easter Sunday, but the reason why we're gathered here this morning once more, as we said last week, 
is because Jesus rose from the dead the first day of the week. We gather weekly on Sunday to celebrate not just the start of a new week or the ending of another, but to celebrate once more and daily, truly, that Christ is indeed risen, that the Gospel still saves. Now, by grace through faith in the Gospel, we have salvation from our past, a securing of our future, and a sustaining strength for our present. There is not a moment of your Christian life that you do not need the Gospel. The Gospel must be preached to your heart. It must be preached to your mind. It must be preached in your home. It must be preached in this church. It must be preached daily and moment by moment because if not, we would be a miserable creature. As a matter of fact, many of us live a Christian life full of misery, full of defeat, full of brokenness, And I believe the reason why is not so much because the world is so broken. It is. It's not going to get any better, but it's because we do not preach the gospel to our heart moment by moment. Now, here's what we've got to understand. As we said here, the gospel, we understand that the moment we're born again, it does a whole lot for us. We are saved, right, from our past. We are justified. It is not just as if we never sinned, but it is as if we had obeyed perfectly in Christ because He obeyed. Our position is now in Christ Jesus. So His righteousness has been imputed to our account. So now our sins have been cast away as far as the east is from the west. This is the idea that no longer any sin, past, present, or future will be held against you. So we've been saved from that. It is a once and for all. It is a save, not just from our past sins, but from our present sins, from our future sins. It is full, final, and complete. There is no uh, Indian giving with God or taking away what He has given. If He gives it by grace, He will sustain it by grace. Now, we've got to understand as well that the Gospel gives us that future hope. Notice, the Gospel is not the Gospel without the resurrection of Jesus. It, It ceases to be good news without it. If Jesus merely dies on a cross, we're in trouble. Now, we, we often, and I believe that we ought to emphasize the bloody, rugged cross. That's where the payment was, was met. That's where Christ became a curse for us. Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. Where He bore our sins, our sorrows. Where the Lord, God, the Heavenly Father, turned His face from the Son. I, I mean, we have to understand the cross is absolutely necessary. It is the Preaching of the cross that saves. It is the preaching of the cross that is foolishness to them which perish, but it is the power of God to us who are saved. We must see, though, that there is something beyond the cross. There is that resurrection. It's been said, uh, it was in the devotion last Sunday night. I don't know if you read it or not, but it was in there. Uh, that the cross is, is the payment and that the resurrection is the receipt. It shows that the price truly has been paid and that it is available now to be applied to our account, but it must be applied by grace through faith. Outside of that, it will never be applied. The resurrection is absolutely critical. The Gospel here is the power of God to save and sustain the believer. We've got to see this about the resurrection. The resurrection uh, is described in Romans. Paul is writing uh, to uh, implore and to educate the the Roman uh, believers He's taken them through chapter 1. Everyone is under wrath. There's a reprobate mind. Chapter 2, even for you Jewish people, you're still even perhaps in a worse case because you have the law and you have rebelled and rejected. Chapter 3, all are guilty, but Christ is the propitiation of our sins. We get to chapter 4. He has a whole uh, chapter on the illustration of Abraham's life and how Abraham was saved, how you and I are saved by grace through faith. Uh, There is no salvation outside of that. 
But at the end of it, in Romans 4.25, he says, I'll go back to verse uh, 24. He says, But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Notice, the resurrection is critical to the gospel, to our very salvation. No resurrection, no salvation. No resurrection, no redemption. Now, hold your place here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Go backwards to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is absolutely key as well in Paul's writings. He spends, you know, a, a whole chapter, not just a little chapter, but a great big old chapter on the resurrection. The resurrection is not just showing us that we can now be justified by grace through faith in Christ alone, but it is now showing that because of the resurrection of Jesus, that there is a future resurrection assured to those who trust him. Without the gospel, there is no eschatology. Without the gospel, there is no end times understanding about our future hope. Without the gospel, there is no future hope. Now look, 1 Corinthians 15, just for sake of time today, I'll look quickly. We see in uh, verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, but... Uh, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Later on in the chapter, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means dead. Right? We already addressed this in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 4, verse 13. He says, uh, But behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Translated as idea in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The idea is the dead will be raised incorruptible, and then you and I shall be changed. Why? Because if we are alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord, at the rapture of the church, the dead in Christ will raise from the dead to incorruption, and you and I will be then translated to incorruption. Meaning we don't have to die a physical death. Now, how many of you guys want to die a physical death? Nobody? Right? I tell people when they talk about death and things, you know, hey, look, I got my bus ticket. Don't mean I want to get on the next bus, right? I, I know where my bus is going. I'm assured of my seat, right? However, we're not necessarily joyfully going, you know, I just can't wait to leave this world. Not in the sense of, of this. Now, but we ought to be longing for eternity. Now, here's the thing. We're, we're not necessarily afraid of where our eternal security is but we don't like the dying part to get there. This is why the hope of the rapture is so wonderful. Because there is a group of people who will not taste physical death. This is why the early church, this is why even just decades ago, it was commonplace to hear phrases in the church like, even so come Lord Jesus. Or I'll see you here, there, or in the air. All these things. Or, even so, let him come today, right? We, we used to sing, play, so you used to hear a lot of choir songs. I remember growing up hearing a lot of choir songs about the coming of the Lord, right? Now we don't talk about it so much. Now what we have done is we have become ignorant of it because we say, well, eschatology or end time stuff or the resurrection or the rapture, it just gets all jumbled and confusing for me, so I just, you know, I just leave it alone. Let, leave that for the theologians. We are called to all be theologians. It simply means, in its root, to study, to know God. We must do so. How do we do so? 
Easy. Verse 14 of chapter 4 of Thessalonians. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. You will never know more about God until you go deeper in the Gospel. And you will never exhaust the Gospel. As a matter of fact, any time that we preach, the Gospel must be there because ultimately, whether we're Old or New Testament, and our preaching and our teaching and our studying and our reading, we must make a beeline, as it has been said in Old, for the cross. We must make haste to get to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need the Gospel. That is our power, not just to secure our salvation, but to strengthen our sanctification today. That's what we need. Scroggy says that Jesus died and rose again is historical fact and is the foundation of the Christian Gospel. For us, everything depends on whether or not we believe it. As we've been said before, it's available, but only applied by faith. You say, well, I've been saved. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad. Now, what will you do about that salvation you've been given? We need all the more to look at this passage. Look at this word. For if we believe that Jesus died, do we believe that Jesus died? Let's try again. Do we believe that Jesus died? Yes. Are you confident of that? Have you, did you see Him die? Then how do you know he died? What? Someone said it back there. There you go. The scripture. Without the word of God, we know nothing of God. How about this? He goes on and he says, and rose again. Do you believe he died and rose again? Did you see him die? Did you see him rise? How did you see him? By faith in the scriptures. He has revealed himself that he is died for our sins, and risen again. That is the good news of the Gospel. You know when you need that preached? You need that preached to your heart when you begin to well up with pride about how knowledgeable you think you are about the Bible. I know I do. There's nothing more humbling than the Gospel. We've got to understand here in this verse 14, why did Jesus die? Because I'm a wicked wretch. Because I could never save myself. Because I rebelled against Him and He loved me and wanted to save me from His wrath. I need His resurrection. Why? Because now, the moment I have trusted Christ, I am not just dead, crucified with Christ, but I am risen with Him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then be risen, therefore look for the eternal things. And I can never look for the eternal things and have confidence in the rapture of the church unless I am daily trusting in the good news of the Gospel. And it's always good news. One commentary writes, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are among the best attested facts of history. Since Christians know these events took place they can be equally certain. Paul said that the souls of believers who have died will return with Christ when He comes for His living saints. The prophecy of the rapture is as sure to be fulfilled as the prophecies of Christ's death and resurrection. Here, verse 14, it's easy to be summed up. Verse 14 is saying, if you believe the Gospel is real and you have confidence in the Gospel, then you had better believe that the rapture of the church and the day of resurrection of the dead in Christ is just as real and have just as much confidence in it. 
If you believe that Jesus saved you from your sins, you had better believe that He's coming again. Why? Because He said He's going to. Matter of fact, even before Jesus told His disciples He's going to die, be buried, raise again, and then come back again for His people, it had been prophesied of old. We even have seen in the book of Genesis, we've been studying that the beginning is pregnant with the ending. It is pointing to a future and a final day, a full day of rest with the Lord to know His presence in a peaceful relationship forever and forever. An uncertain present faith in the Gospel gives an uncertain hope for the future. The reason why many are scared today, I believe, is because they're scared right now. The, the, the reason why they're scared of eternal things is because they're scared right now of the temporal so much. When our eyes are focused on Wall Street or the White House or Russia, Ukraine, China, and Taiwan, it is no wonder we are fearful of what the future will be. We've got to understand, this world is fading away quickly. And as Jesus said, these things must come to pass. And they are coming to pass. All that the world's events should do for us is not make us go, oh boy, this is just so bad. What do we do? Is, is my bank account safe? Do I have enough this? Do I have enough that? Hey, have what you need by all means. Right? i got a few extra cans in, in, the, in the pantry too. Nevertheless, I'm fully expecting the return of the Lord. As we ought to. For 2,000 years, that's been the hope of the church that Christ will come back for His bride. Now, as we look at this passage, we've got to see that this passage, and we'll get into this as we get going, this must be viewed in a light that you and I struggle to see. You and I don't read this passage and think wedding. When I read this passage, I think destruction. I think judgment. I think, ooh, they're going to get it now. Jesus has called us out of here. All nana nana boo boo, all you people he left behind. That's a wrong attitude on my part, isn't it? Y'all can say it. It's okay. You've had that attitude too. What's the right attitude about this? The right view of this is to understand that this is Jesus, the bridegroom, calling his bride away. This is a joyous day. The coming of Christ for those who are in Christ, it is not a fearful thing but the most joyful thing that there is. The bridegroom is coming for the bride. Now the assurance for those who grieve for the dead in Christ is seen that those who have passed already are in Christ, with Christ, and will already be with Him when those who are alive and remain will be called up together with Him. And notice this. This is important for us to understand now. How many of y'all have loved ones who were saved and died? Praise the Lord, right? It doesn't mean that we don't grieve. But we grieve as those that have hope. Why? Because we have hope, assurance, confidence. That the moment that the next few verses takes place, and here's how long it will take for that to happen, but faster. But faster. Blink your eye. But faster. The moment that takes place, it don't matter, and this bothers some, some independent Baptists, and that's okay. You'll be all right. It don't matter if you got cremated, 
It don't matter if you got buried. It don't matter where you put your body. I don't care if you stuff me when I die. Not going to matter to me. The Lord shall gather those who died in Him. If God can speak in this creation without using anything, do you think that He can find great-great-great-granny's ashes and pull them together to a glorified body? I think so. Don't you think that someone who had been not even able to have a casket or a funeral and who passed away in the Lord and their bones just became worm food, don't you think that God can raise them from the dead? Why? Because Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Because Christ has risen from the dead, it is assured for everyone else who has died in Christ, hey, it's temporary. And, and as Paul is getting at, just because you are alive and they are dead in Christ, you're not going to prevent them which are asleep. They're going up. And we're going up right after them. Now, with this, we've got to see this is an absolute assurance. Notice he says, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. So if you and I are alive and remaining, and we get called up, they'll be there with Him already. Now notice, this is important as well. Jesus in His Word describes our position in Him very detailed. Right now, we are in, physically, Victory Way Baptist Church's sanctuary, right? Y'all here, right? You're here. But where else are we? If you're in Christ, you are seated in heavenly places. That's not a future. It's right now. How about Colossians, right? If you are risen. It's ideas we addressed in a, in a, in a series last fall. Because you are risen, right now, not future, not because you are going to rise. That's not what the passage says. Because you are risen. This is who we are. I am crucified with Christ, but I'm also united, not just in His death, but I'm united in His life. Read Romans chapter 6. We talk about it with baptism. That's the whole beautiful picture of baptism in the first place. We are dead with Christ, risen with Christ. That's my position right now. That is our hope. That is our confidence. That means the right now, physically, we are living in the nasty now and now. However, one day, we shall be with Him in the by and by. We shall see the Lord and He will call us out of here. Thomas writes, to be brought with Jesus presupposes believers rising from the dead as part of the process as verse 16 is about to indicate. Rising from the dead is a way the apostle had taught is what the apostle had taught the Thessalonians. Yet their ultimate anticipation is not just being raised, but being with Jesus. The words God will bring point to a continuing movement heavenward after the meeting in the air, verse 17, until an arrival in the Father's presence, chapter 3, verse 13, and as well, John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Jesus taught this. The Old and New Testament teach this. The focus of redemption 
is to reconcile a rebellious people into the presence of God. Now, we often talk about a couple of things, especially as we've been going through Genesis, about God's promise. That's His Word, His provision. Uh, that's His work. But we must see as well that His very will is His presence. So that we would know His presence not just to come, but even now. This is why you and I must understand that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, that we are now the temples of the Holy Ghost of God, that His presence is with us. We carry the Lord with us everywhere we go. But the point of the future day of resurrection and rapture of the church, those which are alive and remain, what does it do? It translates us from being in His presence by faith to being in His presence by sight. And not with eyes that are fallible. Not with eyes that are skewed with sin. My Bible still tells me that one day there will be no more curse. That means there will be no more curse. It means we shall see our Lord. We shall see Him as we were meant to see Him and to know Him. We're reminded of that. Uh, let me look here. 1 John chapter 3 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, that's future, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And as He says in the previous verse in that, how can we be assured of that? What manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God? Because of our position as adopted sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords, we rest confidently by faith that Christ will translate us, rapture us out of this world to be with Him forever. The rapture is essentially a twofold process that happens at the same time, like that. One, the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Rise first. They go, because then which we, part two, are alive and remain, the snatching up or the calling away of those in Christ which are alive and remain, we meet Him in the air, but it describes here in verse 14, God's going to bring them with Him. Why? Because they get resurrected and then we get raptured. Now here's what we've got to understand here. The second coming is the literal and physical return of Christ to the earth where He will rule and reign. And that will set up what is called the Millennial Kingdom. And here's what we've got to understand, alright? I'm going to build you guys a timeline, alright? So y'all bear with me here. Here's what we got. We have the cross. The cross is right here. Resurrection. Right here, alright? It didn't take too long. About that far is, is three days, alright? That's it. Jesus' death and resurrection. And then what do we got? We have His ascension. 40 days later. He preaches, He teaches. 40 days later, He ascends. Acts chapter 1, it's seen. Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, right? We have the church age. From the moment of the ascension, we are now living since that day through even currently in what is often called the, the church age or, the, or the, uh, the day of or the age of grace, right? It's often called those things. But here's the idea. It is also the last days. From the moment He ascended, the message that the angels had in Acts chapter 1 was, hey, this is loose translation. Why are you looking up here 
so astonished, the same Jesus who's going up is going to come back down in like manner. Now, then at some point in time, and this is imminent, the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the rapture of the church, it is imminent. It means maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, maybe soon. Right? Any day. Any time. That's not a scare tactic. Now, I've heard it preached as a scare tactic. And there's a way that you can manipulate hearts that way, and that's not right. Let me be the first to say that. But it should, if we are saved, it should change our hearts. It should maybe not manipulate our hearts, but it should motivate our hearts. We can manipulate emotions, but if we understand that Christ is coming and that eternity is sure, it should motivate our hearts right now. Let me ask you this. Do any of you know when you're going to die? Of course not. Do any of you know when Christ will return? Me either. So that should motivate us. So here's what we've got. Rapture. Resurrection of the dead in Christ. Boom. Here we have next. A seven year literal tribulation period. It will not be good. However, in God's goodness, there will be some who are saved and they will be martyred during this time. It will be a rough day. A day of absolute judgment. If you, if you add up all the math there in Revelation, you look, Old Testament, New Testament, I mean, half the population plus is going to be destroyed. Thank God that He's not saved us for that day of wrath, but rather He's taken us out. It's what the Bible teaches, Old and New Testament alike. Now, that's the resurrection of the dead in Christ, the rapture of the church. We go, we go up. So what's the second coming if that's not it? It's when He comes the second time. All the way on this earth. This is when He comes in Revelation 19, riding the white horse, coming to do battle, coming with judgment and justice in His hands, with eyes as a flame of fire. And guess what? You and I, the bride of the bridegroom, are coming with Him. Then this will set up a millennial, a thousand year reign. Then, for reasons unbeknownst to me, Satan will be let loose for a season. And... Then there'll be a final battle, a final judgment, then eternity. Now, I believe we've got to understand this. We're looking forward to a millennial kingdom. I am. It's going to be great. You know why? It's going to be here, but it's going to be better. We're not just going to be little cherubs on clouds with harps. We're going to have a work to do, but in a glorified body. We're going to be able to praise the Lord and never fail Him again, but then it's going to get gooder after that. We go from a millennial kingdom of a thousand years to the eternal kingdom which will have no end. This is the hope of the church and it has been since day one. And it should always be. The focus of the end times or consummation is that those who are gods will know Him and enjoy His presence with Him Never to be separated from Him again. 
Notice what Jesus says here. What we get this idea. Paul tells us, he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so them which also, even them also which sleep in Jesus will. Circle that. If you're, if you're in the circling or taking notes or underline, circle will. Because it will happen. When God says it will, it will. That's His will. It will. The reason why I have confidence in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is because God said He will do that. The reason why I have confidence that those who are asleep in Jesus will God bring with Him is because He says He will do that. There's a confidence, a certainty. Bringing God's people into His presence is His perfect will. Barclay writes here, and we'll be done. Paul lays down a great principle. Those who have died and died in Christ are still in Christ, even in death, and will rise in Him. Between Christ and all who love Him, there is a relationship which nothing can break, a relationship which overcomes death, because Christ died and rose again, so all who are one with Christ will rise again. How about Romans 8? Anything that can separate us? Anything at all? Not one thing. One day you and I shall be with our Lord, never to be separated again, never to sin against Him again. This is our hope. This is our confidence. Are we living with it as the motivation of all that we do? Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for the truth of Your Word. Help us to have that coming day. It could be today, Lord. We don't know. God, may it motivate our hearts not just to be busy for You, but to simply believe Your Word, to be obedient to You, to praise You, to glorify You here and now in this moment. God, You have given us the breath in our lungs. Help us now to give it back to You Oh Lord, in praise and adoration and the fellowship of Your church. God, prepare our hearts now to worship You, to fellowship with one another, to fellowship with You, Lord, through Your Word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all.